This is our first, our second segment on the entry of Oyrein Seif in our glossary of Hasidic terms. And I guess this segment will be in effect a Fabrengen. My intention here is not to explain the mysticism and the philosophy of Eirein Seif, which we would call in English godliness on this occasion. I'll do that later and I've done some of it before. But rather I'm going to permit myself to articulate the significance and the meaning and the feel of this basic idea of godliness of Eirein Seif. There is a phenomena called Jewish theology. Machsheves hayadus, hashkafas hayadus, muser hayadus. Jewish theology is frankly less important than Jewish practice, the Jewish religion. We were given mitzvahs, we were given commandments. Hashem told us to do a variety of different things, and as it says in Siddur, and it's explained in the Tanya, through these mitzvahs, he made us ours, and he separated us from the other nations. And it gives us the incredible chutzpah to say, Elekeinu, my God, as opposed to Elekim, because of our special relationship with him. Jewish theology is a part of Judaism, but ultimately it would be categorized in the category that would be called kavana. That means the meaning behind our lives rather than the life itself. First of all, as human beings, we value kavana very much. It means a lot to us to understand what we're doing and to find meaning in what we're doing, to find purpose in what we're doing is a great motivator for what we do. But from an absolutely religious perspective, it is secondary to doing what God said. Because ultimately, as it says in the Tanya, the foundation of being a human being and being a Jew is Kabbalah is doing what we're told. There is also the idea that's mentioned in Tanya chapter 38 that the Kavon is a mitzvah. God Almighty told us to do mitzvahs. God Almighty told us to live our Jewish religious lives with the Spirit. To engage not just our bodies, but our mind, a thought, speech, and action, like it says in Tanya in many places, our minds, our hearts, and our senses, as it's correlated to Tanya chapter 4 at the beginning. So, in other words, Kavana is secondary to mitzvahs, and it's a mitzvah in itself. So, of course, historically, there have been many people who have dedicated their lives to figuring out what God wants from us. And of course, the greatest body of knowledge that we have in Torah is the methods by which halacha is determined, the methods by which what we do is flushed out. Nothing in Yiddishkeit, nothing in, in, in Jewish literature comes close in terms of volume, in terms of kamus, to the discussion on what we need to do and how we need to do it and how we did figure that out.
There is, however, a considerable body of knowledge that deals with what you and I would call kavana or hashkafa um, seyadis, Jewish philosophy and theology. The history of Jewish theology and philosophy is interesting and complicated because it, radi- it breaks down into two schools. There's the Kabbalah school and there's the philosophy school. The Kabbalah school and the Chakida school. They're different and their relationship and history are uh, complex. They're interconnected, but rather complex. The difference is that Kabbalah comes from Sinai. The concept of Esesfides, the concepts of Ein Seif, which I'm going to be talking to momentarily, are divinely inspired ideas. They're part of Torah. Philosophy is not strictly Torah, although there is a belief that philosophy goes back to other Medishan and to Sheis and to Hanoich and to Noyach and to Shem and to Eivir and to Avram Avinu. And as such, it has roots in the earliest man who, was, who were deeply, deeply involved with the Creator directly as prophets or whatever the case is as great intellectuals. Nevertheless, the evolution of philosophy, the philosophy that's reached us, is a, is a body of theoretical ideas created by man to attempt to explain, quote, what's really going on in the universe. There's an assumption that there's order and reason in the creation, and that assumption is predicated on the assumption that there's an orderer, and there's a provider of reason within the creation. And then there is a great effort at flushing it out, at figuring it out, figuring out what that may be. So philosophy, strictly speaking, is in Torah. It's human intellect. Human intellect of the greatest people who ever lived, greatest minds who ever lived, perhaps, but it's human intellect. And as a result of this, there are fundamental and core differences between how Kabbalah operates and how philosophy operates. Just to give you the most important example of all. In philosophy, you cannot argue something that isn't logical. Now, you can, <laughs> you can argue what is considered logic, and that's probably a big part of what philosophy does. But philosophy is logic. Logic means I look at the reality and I try to explain what I see, and I have to defend it. I have to be able to debate it. And my arguments have to be built on sound principles of logic. And if it isn't logical, it's false. It's very simple. Kabbalah, on the other hand, there's Kabbalah in the Kabbalah. It's divinely inspired. So, in philosophy, if something does not make logical sense to the human mind, it cannot be included in the paradigm. It can't be included in its world. In mysticism, if you cannot logically prove something, but you have a tradition that this is what was given over from generation to generation, going back to, you know, as the expression is, the author of the Sefer Yitzhida, which is either the Rabakiva or Avram Avinu, that Amak brings both opinions, and he holds that the real author of the Sefer Yitzhida is Avram Avinu. So then ideas which are not purely philosophical, that means ideas that logic alone would not deduce, but by divine inspiration, we know those ideas are part of the paradigm. And that's one of the key differences between Jewish philosophy and Jewish mysticism. In Jewish philosophy, the laws of philosophy apply. If it's not strictly logical, it's false. 
Logical means by itself, without any outside influences. Inspiration is not a part of it. It's got to be logic. and has to be debatable. It has to be able to be argued with other philosophers. In mysticism, in Kabbalah, there are ideas that we have that come to us from Sinai, they come to us from Moshe Rabbeinu, they come to us from Avram Avinu, they come to us from other magician, that are true because they were divinely inspired. Once they're divinely inspired, you can explain them. But you accept them, you don't prove them using the laws of logic. Now, having established this foundation, that philosophy is limited to things that are purely logical, and in Kabbalah we have the idea of divine inspiration, let's move on to what the key difference between these two systems would be. And the difference is the idea of godliness. It ain't safe. I've touched on it in the segments that I did on the, the Marshal of Oyer, and I'm repeating them again in the Nimshal of Eid ain't safe. Godliness means godly light. That's what it means. In simple words. And we're going to talk about it in soon. In this segment or the next segment or whatever the case is. When you look at the world and you try to understand what it is and where it came from, it necessitates a creator. It does. It necessitates a creator, period, end. But it doesn't necessitate creatorliness. <laughs> it doesn't necessitate that the creator has a secondary form or expression. So godliness is a strictly mystical idea. It's not a philosophical idea. There is no basic logic to argue, to prove, using logic alone that justifies the idea of ain't safe. And it is a critical, it is a key difference between non-mystical theology, which we call philosophy, and mystical theology, the idea of godliness, the idea of ain't safe. The result of this distinction is so many things, and it's so many things that not only affect philosophy, they literally affect worship. They literally affect what we think about when we're doing a mitzvah, what we're trying to accomplish when we're engaged with God Almighty. And I'm going to get to those momentarily. But let's start with this idea. In philosophy, there's boire and there's creator and creation. It's that simple. Philosophy has a need to define creator, and philosophy uses laws of logic to come up with some sense of what creator must be, or as philosophy would be much more comfortable in saying it, what creator isn't. And then philosophy would have definitions for what a creation is. And one of the things that emerges from the philosophical paradigm or the philosophical model is that when we understand the nature of what creation, creator needs to be, and when we understand the nature of what creator is, we understand that there's no relationship between them. The creator exists, and his existence is perfect and cannot be changed, and he's higher than time, and on and on and on and on. Included in the paradigm of the definition of creator is that he's Matzileibimitzias, that his existence is non-existential. Which is an idea that the Rambam brings in Mernevuchim Pechelekalapedik Don Zayin. In Chsidish terms, we call it Mitzias Bilti Mitzias Nimtza. It's the same expression. And Matzeloi B'Mitzias basically means that he has no relationship with anything. He has no form, and he therefore doesn't interface with other forms, and his existence is entirely in relationship with itself. As we would say it in the Hasidic lore, the Hasidic language, we call him Atmos. And Atmos means that he is an existence that exists only in relationship with itself. 
Consequently, when we speak about the relationship between creator and creation, there isn't one. There is a creator. The proof that there's a creator is that there's a creation. The creation is form. The entire reality of creation is, inter is, is interactions. It's relationships. The creator created the creation, but he created the creation in a way that there's absolutely no proximity, no closeness whatsoever between himself and the world because his existence, by definition, precludes the whole concept of relationships. And the very definition of creation is a series of relationships. This is a, a basic understanding of philosophy. And on that basis, philosophy's understanding of the reason for Torah mitzvahs, for Yiddishkeit, have a very basic and fundamental limit. And that limit is that, to say it in a cliche, there's nothing in it for the Creator. We give Him nothing. And you see this in the philosophy works, like the Rambam and the Asag and others. There's nothing we can do to give Him pleasure. There's nothing we can do to give Him disappointment. There's nothing we can do that brings Him closer to us. There's nothing we can do to bring ourselves closer to Him. There's nothing we can do to give Him any satisfaction. So then, philosophy is left with the question, if he gains nothing from it, why did he bother to create the world? And the only answer that they have, and I'm not saying it isn't a good one, but this is the answer, is teva tevlehetev. It's an act of kindness, an unconditional act of kindness. Ki And human beings, in their entire lives, as they aspire to become better and better, are never approaching God. They're simply approaching their own perfection. They're approaching being as close to what a human being can be in terms of his per personal perfection. Uh, but there's nothing about that that has anything to do with the divine. In other words, in the realm of philosophy, if you say the better you become, the closer you become to God, you don't really mean that. You mean the better you become, the closer you become to the maximum possibility that God gave you. But there is no proximity between God and creation. Then comes mysticism, Kabbalah. Now the history, of course, is that Kabbalah is older than philosophy in terms of Jewish theology. But because the Zohar was hidden after the generation of Rav Sheba Yechoi, and it didn't appear till much later, its manifestation in our Jewish religious thinking and life follows philosophy. In other words, it sources before, but its manifestation is later, which is part of the reason it's so, comp it's so uh, controversial. Kabbalah adds a simple idea. It's called godliness. Alukus. Getlichkeit. It ain't safe. Havaya. Whatever word you wish to use, but that's the idea. Godliness is a mystical concept, meaning to say you cannot prove it using logic alone. You cannot prove it using philosophy alone. We know it. Kabbalah and I guess the simplest way to articulate it is to call it Ein Seif. And as I said in my previous segment, Ein Seif as opposed to Ein Tchila, in spite of the complexities and the differences of opinion that this engenders. And basically what godliness is, is Motsubemtias, is godliness that interfaces, that relates to another thing. I, I want to share with you one of the most sweet ideas that you have in the Rebbe's Torah. This is the, what's called the Great Hadrin. The Great Hadrin that Rebbe made on Rambam. He made it in 1975. He distributed it in 1985, which was the first Siyum Rambam 
after the Rebbe introduced Lima the Rambam. And uh, in that Hadrin, the Rebbe discusses the first three halachas of the Rambam. Besides for discussing the end of Hilchas and the end of the whole Sefer, he discusses the very beginning of Rambam. And one of the most wonderful ideas that Rebbe presents us with is that there's something called Yala Das, a higher level. And the Yala Das says, Hu that Yalmai, Hu Enimatsi is understood by most people to mean he doesn't exist, but the Rebbe doesn't accept that because the Rebbe says it doesn't make any sense. He says, Hu Enimatsi means that he exists non existentially. And there is a Yala Das for Hu Enimatsi. Going up to a higher level of knowledge, we say he exists non existentially. But there's also another idea, which is how the Ramam opens. You say that you say the foundation of all foundations, the pillar of all wisdom, is to know that he is a first metzias, a first form, a first existence. And what the Rebbe argues is that the Ramam argues that in God there's two ideas. There's God as he exists as any matzis, non-existentially, and then there is how before God creates the world. He creates for himself a Matthias, a form. And the form of God, Matsui, Matthias, Nimtza. Vuhu Mamti called Nimtza. Vuhal Anatoi, Mishmain, Vatsbash, Benev, Limtza, El Mitzvah, Himase, is necessary for there to be a relationship between God and creation, or to say it philosophically, for there to be any kind of truth within the creation itself. So even in the Rambam, as the Rebbe teaches it, there's Matsui, Lebe, Matthias, and then there's Matsui, Matthias. The first Allah in Rambam argues. Not that God exists, but that God exists existentially as a Matthias. And the second Allah and Rambam, the Rambam posits what were to happen if he remained a Matsi Leibah Matthias. I personally believe very strongly that this commentary of the Rebbe and these first two halachas of the Rambam are classic Kabbalah. Classic Kabbalah based on the Taita that we have. The previous Rebbe brings down, we have a Kabbalah in the name of the Baal Shem Tev. Quote, as the Rambam is given a great Samakubal, the Rambam was a great Kabbalist, and the proof is that he opens up his Sefer, but you say that, 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 this is in Sefer Asichas Tavshin, the Rebbe has a footnote there, Aganzi Geschichte, it's a whole long story. That the first halach in Rambam, which says that Hashem exists as a Matthias, is very, very similar to the mystical concept of godliness. Because the difference between the word God and the word godliness, obviously, God is the source. Godliness is the manifestation. But the philosophical difference is that God's existence has no relationship with anything. Or as we would allude to him as Atmos, an entity that exists entirely in relationship with self and no, no relationship with anything outside of self. So godliness becomes the face of God. Godliness becomes God interactive. Godliness is the idea that although God by himself has no relationship with anything, there is a secondary idea called godliness, godly light, or whatever word you wish to use, that does interface, that does interact. And this is a mystical idea. It's not a philosophical. You cannot logic, argue it logically without accepting something. Kabbalah accepts it because Kabbalah in Kabbalah, it's divinely inspired. It comes from God through the prophets or through the Mekubalim, whatever the case is. We know the concept of Ein Seif. And it changes the entire theology of Judaism completely. It's not just a mystical idea. It's a deeply religious idea and it affects Kavana and practice. 
because the Kabbalistic introduction of the concept of godliness says essentially that there is an idea in God that, we, that does touch us and that we're touched by. And as a result, we can, in Kabbalah, say there are things that we do make a difference to God. We do a mitzvah. He's satisfied. It's painful to him. We can touch him and be touched by him. And I guess, to me, the most critical form to articulate in the scheme of this little schmooze is to say that there is a real idea of being closer to God. The concept of being closer to God or further from God, which in philosophy basically means being closer to the human maximum potential or farther from the human maximum potential. In Kabbalah, there is a notion of being closer to God or being farther from God. But we don't mean God, we mean godliness. Because godliness essentially is God interactive. The idea that Hashem interfaces with creation. Now this segment is 20 minutes, 21 minutes long. My boss, my incredibly dedicated boss, doesn't want these segments to be more than 10. So this is a double segment. I apologize for this, but I do not regret having done this. This is our second segment on the idea of Aiding Safe. And you will, of course, notice that so much of what we discussed was uh, Yiddish Arum. We didn't talk about godliness in a very technical way. We talked about godliness in what I hope is a warmer way. And the next segment is to follow. We'll continue.